the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. No word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, the end of the week, and we really need your prayers today. I'll explain in a moment. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Send and for Life, a program that is committed and dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, anything and everything on your heart about what we believe or why we believe it. Maybe something you're going through in your personal life will do the best that we can to provide those answers. You need only to dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, you can use the free KSLR mobile app. You need only hit one button that says call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Okay, here's why we need your prayers. I have good news and good news. The first good news is that our children are at camp, youth and up to high school age. We have hundreds and hundreds of kids up there, and um, tonight is their sort of their big finish, the the afterglow. Uh, they come home tomorrow, but but tonight is the afterglow, and this is a time when when kids will get saved. It's a time when the Lord has been dealing with their heart through the teaching of the Word. So, uh, if you're out and about tonight, and the Lord brings us to heart and mind, please pray for those kids. A move of God's Spirit. It never fails. Um, but um, kids deal with a lot of stuff, and Jesus wants to meet them. So tonight is that night. The other good news is, because we've got hundreds and hundreds of people at our youth camp, uh, our service tonight in Acts chapter 21, uh, we're going to have plenty of room. This is historically the smallest attended Bible study of the year. Uh, and it's simply because everybody's gone, which is a good thing. They're serving the Lord. Uh, but that means we have room. If you are in the area and would like to come at 7 o'clock, um, just find Calvary Chapel of San Antonio and get here. 7 o'clock, the Bible study starts. Uh, I'm not even sure until just a moment ago who's doing worship because, all, again, all of our people are gone. Uh, but David Marquez is going to be leading worship, and you will have a blast. And we'll just hang out and praise the Lord. So that's all what's going on tonight. We'd love your phone calls and questions. Here is our first question. It's from Nacho. Pastor Ron, would you consider James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 to apply to people who claim to be Christians but do not live as Christians in their daily lives? Uh, or so-called Christians who go to church because their family goes to church, or they're Easter and Christmas Christians, or is this passage focused more on 
uh, more toward committed Christians who struggle in their daily walk as Christians. Nacho, I think the passage, and I'll read it here, uh, I think the passage applies to everybody, and unfortunately, um, a lot of Christians. James, who who I love because he's so practical. He's James is a guy I could listen to because he's really blunt, he's direct, he's to the point. And so he closes this chapter by saying, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, that last verse, verse 17, actually connects very strongly to what comes next. I've got another James question coming uh, from Rich in a moment that I'll get to. But Nacho, this is just uh, describes so many Christians. We make our plans. As believers, we ought to be the men and women who get up and check in with him regarding our plans. And unfortunately, we don't do it. We presume upon God. We presume upon our calling. We make our plans and figure God is going to be okay with it. And what James is communicating here and what Paul learned, you can read that through his epistles, is that, you know, what he says is, if it's the Lord's will, I will come to you. And I think the really important application for us in this passage is that since we don't know what God's will is for sure, we have to be willing to let him interrupt our plans. And that's what we ought to do in terms of our approach to God every single day. Um, it's okay to have plans. It's okay to want to do things. But we've got to be like Jesus and get to the place where we say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And that's what James is communicating. He's just saying, you know, anything about what we're going to do, anything about our plans is just boasting. It's bragging. And he says, all of that boasting is evil. So if we as Christians will simply submit to the will of God, then we're in a place where we know that we're always going to be right in the middle of what he wants us to do. So I, I think it applies not true to every one of those groups. hope that answers your question. Uh, here is a question from the one from Rich, which is also James, only James 5. Uh, from our email inbox. Pastor, on today, I have two questions from James 5. In verses 14 and 15, we read that a sick member of the church is to call for the elders of the church, be prayed over and anointed with oil in the name of the Lord. Should we continue this practice today, and what is the purpose of anointing someone with oil? And in verse 16, what does James mean when he states that we should confess our sins to one another? Rich, a lot of people sort of take this passage and disjoint it. By that I mean they'll take verse 16 and forget about the verses that come forward. Uh, the passage Rich is talking about um, is in verse 14, is any of you sick, you should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So let me break there for a moment before we make the contextual connection in verse 16. Uh, Rich, we should continue this practice today, to be sure. Uh, we do this here at our church uh, all the time. Um, we we pray for them. We anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the reason we do it is because God's intention at times is to perform some healing. So if somebody's sick and they have the faith to come forward and ask, that's the only thing the Lord requires, just mustard seed faith, a little tiny bit of faith. And so we anoint them with oil. Now, the purpose of anointing somebody with oil is simply to recognize that any healing is done not by the man or the human vessel, but by the power of God's Spirit. And the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit at work. There's actually no magic. If, if you didn't have oil, it would be okay just to simply lay hands on somebody, touch someone. But, but this is important because this person is to call for the elders of the church. That's a step of faith. 
Now, we probably won't do it tonight because we won't have enough people here to do it, but every Friday night service we have um, the men and the women who are in leadership here, pastors, discipleship class, and, and other areas. They will come forward at the end of our Friday night service and we'll spread them out in front of the stage and we'll close with a time of prayer where people can come up and ask for prayer for anything, whether it's healing or, or, or just other issues going on in their lives. Uh, maybe it's something God dealt with them um, concerning during the Bible study. Uh, and they'll come forward and people will pray for them. And almost always somebody will get touched by the Lord and healed physically, not in some attention-drawing way, but just in a way that suggests that, that, that they had the faith to ask and God answered. And their coming forward is a step of faith and being prayed for, hands laid on by the leaders in the church. That's just an issue that, that says, look, this is a point of contact that says, uh, I believed, I'm here, God, would you touch and heal? Now, here's the disconnect, Rich, from the way most people understand this question. Most people get to verse 16 and they'll forget verses 13, 14, and 15 even existed. Verse 16 is very important because the context is, therefore, confess your sins. Um, It's not a good translation, but the King James says, confess your faults. The idea here is sin. It's the word to miss the mark. It's the word that we normally understand to be sin. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the Righteous man is powerful and effective. You know, sometimes our prayers don't get answered because we're not willing to leave our sin behind. I think the context in this particular verse, Rich, is dealing with those whose illness is caused by sin. And if you come forward, the end of verse 15 says, if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. So um, if you are sick because of sin, then God will touch you and heal. Um, Your sins will be forgiven. Um, And then he just sums it by saying the prayer of a righteous man is powerful, uh, fervent, the King James says, and effective. Uh, I personally believe that this is a guarantee of healing but only when the illness is directly related to sin. And certainly only, Rich, only when that sin has been completely repented of and forgiven by God. Not all sickness comes as a result of sin. In fact, most sickness isn't a result of sin. But in this context, I think it is very clearly dealing with that sin which is, um, or or that that does lead to illness, Um, that sin which God is eager to wipe away. So that's what he means. We should confess our sins. When you go to the leaders of a church and your illness is related to some sin in your life, you can simply say, Jesus, forgive me. And the leader of the church will pray for you and your sins will be forgiven. So, Rich, I hope that answers your question. By all means, we should have that um, in our church services and, and uh, especially those who have evening services, services where there's more time. By all means, those prayers ought to be included all the time. 340-9585. Or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Mariah. She says, we are trying to find a balance between sports and other activities for our kids and being involved in church. Have you any suggestions? Mariah, I love the heart behind this question. And frankly, in our busy, busy, busy age, I wish that this question were being asked more often. This is about priorities. You know, as parents, we want to get our kids involved in things. We want to get our kids um, the opportunity to find something that they're really good at and something that they really enjoy and all that's well and good. But we live in a time now, especially where sports are are concerned, where they completely dominate the calendar. You know, when I grew up, nothing was on Sundays. 
uh, I was an athlete. I played baseball and I played football and basketball, and and uh, but but nothing was ever on Sundays. Businesses were closed on Sundays. That's not the case anymore. Uh, I have grandchildren who whose life was taken over by soccer. And, you know, the moms and dads get wrapped up in it. They become a little community, and they travel together to these road games and things like that. But it eliminates the, the, the potential, even the possibility of being involved in your local church as you should be. So, Mariah, this is, again, I said a minute ago, but I'll say it again. This is about priorities. And your children are going to learn what matters most to you by the decisions you make. We have a lot of kids here at Calvary Chapel who are very gifted athletically. We have kids that are gifted musically. We have kids that are involved in dance. We have kids that are involved in just almost everything, gymnastics, martial arts. Our encouragement to them is always make sure the main thing stays the main thing, and that's Jesus. God understands if once in a while... There's something that you have to do on a Sunday and can't make church. That's not the point of what I'm saying. But those should be exceptions, few and far between. And what I tell our parents here at Calvary Chapel to do is when you sign your kids up for something, you let your kids' coaches know that your kids are not available on Sunday during church time. If they want to do it in the afternoon or something, that's fine. But if you start blowing off church, if you stop start discouraging their involvement in serving a church. They're going to learn what's really important to you, and then they're going to follow suit. You know, one of my favorite ministries here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is a ministry we call Growing in Servanthood. And it's the the, the ministry where the children get to serve alongside adults. Sometimes it's alongside their parents, but sometimes it's just alongside other adults. And and literally, they do everything. We have a, a a church service where the kids help the adults pass out communion elements. Um, we have uh, kids that help in cleaning ministry between services and after service. We have uh, all kinds of things. And um, the kids really grow. They thrive, just like their parents do when they begin serving the Lord. And in Instances where the families get to serve together, to see a father and a son or a mother and a daughter, or even more impactful at times, father and their daughters, to see them serving together is laying such a solid foundation that to miss out on that is to really and truly be ripped off. So, Mariah, don't find a balance. Put Jesus first. There are plenty of other days in the week that your kids can do other activities. Just make sure that we don't get them so busy, so involved with things that, well, our family forgets about Jesus in the process. This is really important. My sons and their, my daughters-in-law, they're still trying to find that balance. And unfortunately, they haven't found a balance that's quite as effective, at least for the sake of the Lord, as I would like. But that's something that you've got to work through. But please, 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 remember it was God who gave you those kids. And God wants you to rightly represent him. And he's got to be first. You will encounter so much cultural pressure. Pressure from friends, from neighbors, even well-meaning people in church. No, you got to let your kids do this. There's no better place for your children to be than at church, learning who Jesus really is. So, Mariah, I hope that helps a little bit. You've asked a question a whole bunch of parents are struggling with. Here is a question from Danny uh, via email. Danny says, what are the advantages of a large church versus a small church? Danny, I don't know that it's advantages or disadvantages as much as it is just personal preference, comfort level. Uh, obviously, big churches have bigger budgets. Big churches can provide more um, types of ministry, varying types of ministry. Um, but a lot of times in big churches, community seems to get lost. So I'm not sure that 
again, it's advantage as much as it is simply preference. If you come for a little large church, the way you can keep it practically small is to get involved in service in an area, and you will find that your church becomes very small because you're going to be standing with and serving with um, the people in that particular ministry, and they'll become sort of like a little community, uh, a little fellowship family. And if you will do that, um, then a small church, I mean, sorry, a large church can, can, can be manageable in terms of, of sort of navigating through the, the multitudes of people. A, a small church, a, a disadvantage, I guess you would say, of a small church is that there's some things small churches can't do that larger churches can. When we first started here, Danny, um, we had people who wouldn't come because we didn't have a, 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 a happening now children's ministry. And they would say things, oh, I love the teaching, but we'll come back when you have a children's ministry. Um, well, well, that's not a way to get a children's ministry. The way to get a children's ministry is for people to say, you know what, I'll volunteer, I'll serve. And a lot of times we're looking to entertain our kids instead of instruct our kids. And small churches, frankly, aren't very good at entertaining. I don't think big churches should be, but unfortunately they are. They can put on a bigger show. Uh, A small church has a distinct advantage in terms of really connecting with the people in the church, um, knowing what you can pray for, letting them know what prayer needs you might have, uh, people that you are comfortable with. I think a, a disadvantage, practically, uh, the outworking of a smaller church is that sometimes smaller churches are sort of programmed in their DNA to remain small. And I think sometimes we quench the work of the Spirit. We stop evangelizing. We stop inviting people to church. If we'll, do, if, if we'll avoid those pitfalls, then I think the Christian can thrive in either place. Let me say one more thing about a large church. The worst thing, in my opinion, about a large church is that people can become invisible in it. And there's a lot of people whose uh, proclivity is to be invisible, you know, kind of come in and get out without really meeting anybody, without sharing their heart, without uh, opening their hearts to other people. And that's a horrible reason to find a big church. Whatever you decide, Danny... Take the initiative to introduce yourself to people. Take the initiative to find out about who the people around you are and let them know who you are. Find out what opportunities to serve your church there might be and do that. Because if you'll do that, church will be a rich and a rewarding experience. Some people are really comfortable in large groups Many more people are not comfortable in huge places. That's the beautiful thing about God's body, the diversity and the different types of churches and services you can attend. Find somewhere where the Bible is being taught, regardless of how many people there. Ask the Lord to lead you by His Spirit to the church that He has for you, waiting for you. And I think you'll know it when you find it. Just make sure they're teaching the Word, they're teaching it faithfully. Don't go to a church because of what they can do for you. Go to a church instead where your gifts can be used to glorify God in that church. And then once you find that that church, once you make the decision, Danny, then what I want you to do is jump in with both feet, hold nothing back, and see how God will use you. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate the, the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Anthony. I can do this in the three minutes we have left. Would you explain Psalm one fifteen, please? Let me turn there really quick, Anthony. It's a Psalm of David. Not to us, O Lord, but to Your name be the glory because of Your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, but their idols are made of silver and gold, made by the hands of men. The the whole idea here is just the the distinction, uh, Anthony, between the real God and man-made gods. Now, we don't go around making man-made gods anymore. 
What we do instead is we worship the living and true God. Now, if you have anything in your life, in your heart that comes before God as a priority, we're talking with Mariah about activities for kids. Well, they can become these false idols. And the whole psalm here is written to indicate clearly the difference. The, the, the gods of men can't help you. But it's only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we can find our help. The Lord remembers us, verse 12 says, and will bless us. False gods never do. The God that we serve will bless the small and the great alike. The God we serve will make our increase, not just us, the psalm says, but our children as well. And what we have to do is be sure that we're worshiping the one true God. Of course, his name is Jesus Christ. And then we can be those men and women that are serving in spirit and in truth. So, Anthony, I hope that makes sense. This is simply a distinction, uh, as many of the Psalms are, uh, between uh, us and them, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ and those of us who have put their hope in someone or something else. Fulfillment is found only in the true living God, Jesus Christ. We have 30 minutes left in the week. The phones have been quiet this week, pretty much. We'd love your live calls and questions at 340-9585. Toll free, you can call us at 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. Anthony, let me let me say this. Mia culpa. Um, I, I'm visually impaired, and I went in that explanation of Psalm 115, and what you wanted me to do was tell you what Psalm 15 means, not Psalm 115, so please forgive me. Psalm 15 is five verses, and it starts out, and this is a, a quick one, Anthony, and then we'll get a phone call. Uh, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He He who does these things will never be shaken. This is a description, Anthony, of what Jesus has done for us. You want to go to heaven, you want to hang out with Jesus, you have to be righteous, you have to be blameless. You have to speak the truth from your heart and love your fellow men. You say, well, I'm already disqualified, but see, Jesus has done that for us. So this is a description of the accomplished, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Anthony, all we have to do is partner with him in that work. Nobody's going to get to heaven apart from Jesus. Sorry for the mix-up. Let's go to Cheryl uh, from San Antonio. Cheryl, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Cheryl, are you there? Oh, we, we, we lost Louis, Louis and we lost Cheryl. Well, either of you can call back if um, you want to. hate to have people call and then we miss them. Here is a question from Anonymous. He says, he or she says, What has been your greatest challenge as a pastor? And do you ever think sometimes when things get really hard that it isn't worth the pain? Um, let me answer the, the back part of that first, Anonymous. Um, it's worth any and all pain and more to, to do what I get to do, to be called, um, is, is the greatest thrill ever. So um, let, let me come back to this. Cheryl's back on the line, so let's take Cheryl's call. Cheryl, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Um, hello, Pastor. I'm so sorry I uh, dropped you there. But uh, <laughs> my question has to do with uh, Rachel and Laban and about... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, we had a discussion about this recently, and I'd love to hear your insight on uh, the household idols and why Rachel would have uh, stolen that. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll listen to you um, on the radio. Okay, thank you. I can do that. Uh, you know, Rachel was um, less than full of integrity. Rachel had a whole lot of um, her family DNA in her. And in this particular case, um, um, Rachel stole the idols simply because it meant so much to her father. Not only that, but she stole it uh, because it was valuable. She just thought she could get away with it. Uh, there's some speculation, Cheryl, that she stole it because um, she hadn't completely divorced herself from the worship of idols that was common in her home. And, um, you know, I think one of the lessons that we get from this practically is that uh, your children often are a reflection of what they're taught in home, uh, who what really goes on in the home. And in this case, Rachel, of course, was uh, um, not above being deceitful, not above lying. Uh, and whatever her ultimate motive was for stealing the idol, uh, it wasn't because she didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but maybe she hadn't completely disconnected. Um, I tend to sort of fall into the camp where just because it was viable and, you know, her and her husband was being cut off from the inheritance of her father and she thought, well, I'll take mine now. Um, but um, there are just as many who would who would disagree with that and say, no, I think the reason was because she still had some connection to those false idols. But it's a, an interesting family. Um, Laban was the man that outconned the con man Jacob. Uh, and when uh, when Laban was getting rid of Jacob, um, she knew that she was going to be cut off with nothing. So whatever your take on it is, either of those things work. So thanks for calling back, Cheryl. Luis, if you want to call back, we've got empty phones. Um, we don't have an empty phone. We've got Roland calling from San Marcos. Roland, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Blessings on you and your radio program, sir. Thank you. And my question is, what is your opinion on wearing a crucifix, you know, a gold crucifix with a gold chain? Roland, I'm not, um, um, uh, I, I don't like anything that shows Jesus still on the cross. I, I realize it's a fashion, a fashion statement now that people make. Um, but Jesus is not on the cross, uh, and, and the idea, the crucifix, of course, tying into the to the Eucharist, the, the bloodless sacrifice of Christ over and over and over again. Um, one is based on really, really horrible doctrine. It sends a terrible message uh, to the people that are going to take note of it. Um, and, and I think if you want to wear a cross, that's fine, but it gives us the opportunity then to say, but, but you'll notice Jesus isn't on the cross because Jesus is alive, and it can, it can represent a really good opportunity to share. But to, to have Jesus on the cross, uh, I think, is hurtful and demeaning to the Lord, and uh, I think most of the people who are wearing it these days are doing it just for the sake of jewelry. Um, those who are wearing it with the knowledge of what it means, uh, I think, are misrepresenting the Lord and uh, misrepresenting the hope that we have in the risen Christ. Does that help? Oh, yeah, it does. I, I agree with you 100%. I appreciate you. Okay. Thank you, Roland. Appreciate it very, very much. Thanks for the call. Here is the question that I cut off in the middle. What has been your greatest challenge as a pastor? And do, do I ever think that it isn't worth the pain? Uh, Anonymous, the greatest challenge uh, that, that I've ever had, and, and it can't be just one, but um, the, the, the really, really difficult times for me have always been when people I care deeply about um, are not living Christ-honoring lives because of the pain. 
Now, personally, over the years, every church has had uh, sort of small rebellions. We've had ours. I've been betrayed by people who who said they loved me and people that I really poured out a lot of time, energy, prayer, uh, and effort into. Um, but you get over those things. You don't like them, but you get over those things. Uh, but it's, like I said before, Cheryl's call, to, to have... Um, the privilege of doing what I do is truly the greatest honor of all. And I wouldn't rethink it. I wouldn't do anything else. Um, from time to time, Anonymous, we get people who call and they'll, they'll say, well, maybe I'm called to be a pastor. What do you think? And my answer is always, if you get a chance to do this, do it with all of your heart. Because it's the best job ever anywhere. So no, I never think it's not worth the pain. A pain is part of it, uh, but most of the pain comes from the pain of other people. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Scott on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I'm going to ask you my question again. I asked on Wednesday. Um, I don't know if you remember. It was in Nehemiah. Um, I do remember. A little bit shorter this time. (laughs) Okay. I remember. Okay. Well, let me let me let me say it this way and make sure that, that I understand or whatever. Um, my question is: under the Old Testament law, of course, their sin separated them from God and their relationship with God. And um, in this commentary I was reading, it was, it was applying it to the New Testament, which didn't make sense to me because the way they were saying it is like we had control over our sin and it was like a work to me it sounded like works that we have to get away from our sin um because it is hurting the relationship with god and i was kind of questioning well isn't our relationship you know the lack relationship or the closest with god the result of it is the sin not the sin causing the lack of relationship with god i guess that's kind of what i was saying anyway mm-hmm. i'm gonna I'm, I'm let you i'm gonna get uh, i'd like to listen to you on the radio Okay. Thank you, thank you, Scott. And we apologize for forgetting that. I know that I'm getting old, so that's just the way it is. Uh, Scott, I think that the the difference to, to help us understand is we have to understand the Old Testament concept of atonement as opposed to the New Testament concept of atonement. In the Old Testament, everything was based on their works, and if they fell short, and of course they did, um, then they would offer sacrifices for their sins. And if the sacrifices were accepted, then they would be, um, um, they, they would sort of cover over the sins of the people. You remember on the Day of Atonement, every year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, just one man, one day per year. And he would make first a sin offering for his own sins, and then a sin offering for the sins of the people. When the high priest would come out, it would, the, the crowds, the huge crowds would erupt because his coming out would be tantamount to them saying God has accepted uh, our offerings for sins and our sins have been covered over. Now the problem is they'd have to do that every single year and then as you know Scott they would have to do it throughout the rest of the year um, uh, individually taking their offerings uh, to, to the priest. The problem of course is that that stain of sin always remained. We who are in the New Testament, when Jesus, and there are plenty of references to this in the Old Testament that the Jews could have understood, but they didn't. Uh, Come, let us reason together. Isaiah chapter 1 says, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. A, a Jew never had a hope of that under the law. We whose sins have been covered by the blood of the perfect lamb, well, our sins are as far from us as east is from west. Now, in the Old Testament, you worked your way. You were you tried to be as good as you can, whether you're Isaiah or Daniel, arguably the two holiest men in all of scriptures. You did good things. You did more good things. And you worked your way to God on the basis of effort and covered your bases with the sacrifice for sins. But you and I, we have been elevated into a place of perfection. All beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. It is the result of Jesus taking away our sin. And, and thus we have to do no work. Now, when I say that, people freak out. You mean we don't have to do anything? Well, we serve Scott from a completely different motive. 
where the Old Testament saints served or did good things or tried their best to keep the law to find favor with God. We serve because we've already received favor from God. They did it to earn their way to God. We do it to say thank you to God. So it's a huge, huge difference between the two. And while uh, there are lots of people who will still take a book like James, um, you show me your faith without good works, I'll show you my faith by what I do, they misunderstand it completely. James is simply saying that the good works we do flow from a grateful heart for what we've received. I had a good friend, it's not my story, but a good friend who who tells a story about uh, growing up and he always had the responsibility, one of his chores at home was to wash his father's car. And so every weekend he'd have to wash his dad's car, he'd grumble and complain about it the whole time. Well, when he got his driver's license and going on his first date, he was so excited, he said, Dad, can I use your car for my first date with this girl? And his dad said, yes, you can use my car. And he said, that car couldn't have been any more clean because I washed it every day leading up to the date because I was looking forward to an experience. Well, we look backwards, and the work that we do is a labor of love. It's not just labor. It's not just hard work. Instead, Scott, it's a labor of love. And that changes everything, and that's something every Christian needs to understand into the depths of their heart. So, Scott, again, I'm sorry that we forgot that question, but um, thanks for calling back. 340-9585, here is a question from Andrew. He said, why did God ask Abraham to kill Isaac? Andrew, he asked him as a test. Now, I'm sure you know this. But God never intended for Isaac to die. This was a test of Abraham's heart, Abraham's priorities. Mariah questioned earlier about priorities in, in, in terms of activities and church for kids. Well, sometimes God gives us kids and we lose sight of the giver of those children. Well, Abraham sort of fell out of love With God. Why? Because he was smitten by Isaac. But I want you to remember, God never expected him to do it. He always had a plan. God will provide himself a sacrifice, is what he was told. And all we have to do is remember that. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a, Hi, Ray. a, a problem with the two different translations of uh, one is uh, it's Romans 9 verse 2 and 3 and uh, in the NLT I can tell you what it is my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people my Jewish brothers and sisters I would be willing to be forever cursed cut off from Christ if that would save them and then in the in the NIV I believe it's worded slightly different which is why there are but uh, it's I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people on and on and on and and I have a problem with the the uh, NLT uh, saying that uh, I, I can't imagine how a, a Christian could could uh, feel that they could be cut off from Christ. Just I, it just, I'm, I can't I can't wrap my head around it, and I, and I wonder if you could give me your gist on that. I can help, Ray. Thank you very much. Okay, this is thank a. You. I'm going to listen uh, on the radio. Thank you for calling, Ray. This is um, um, one of those passages of scriptures. It is, if it wasn't scripture, it would be um, impossible to believe. Now you got to understand in Romans, at chapter nine, verses nine, ten, and eleven, Paul 
He's just gotten through life in the spirit of chapter 8. He's talking about this is what God has done. These are the promises he's made. Now we're free in Christ. And now in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he turns his attention back to the people of Israel, Jews. Now remember that Jews were chasing him out of every city. Jews were plotting his murder. And yet his response is soul-shattering. This is the heart rate that every one of us should have. These happen to be uh, my probably favorite five verses in the New Testament because this is the heart that we need to demonstrate toward the people who haven't found Christ. Now, as Paul turns his attention to Israel, to Jews, unbelievers, he begins with what I call a triple oath of sincerity. I speak the truth in Christ. This is verse 1. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms in the Holy Spirit. So he's aware that what he's saying is, is seemingly an impossible thing. But we know the Spirit of God wrote this. And then he goes on and says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Uh, and then verse 3, Ray, and you read it, the understanding perfectly. He's saying that he wished for the sake of his own people the people of Israel, that they would give their heart to Jesus and be in heaven. And what Paul is saying is, look, if if I could trade with him, I would. Now, he knows he can't. Obviously, Paul is, is the author of much of our New Testament doctrine. So he knows that he's sealed with a deposit guaranteeing his inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. He knows... That, that God has chosen him. He knows he's an apostle by the will of God. We need only to read his, his letters over and over. And, and, and we, this isn't doctrinal error. But what he's saying, and I'll put it in the, the clearest terms I can, he's saying, God, I would give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. If it were possible, I'd give my place in heaven. Now, when you consider, Ray, that these were his enemies, when you consider that these were the people trying to kill him and causing him no end of trouble, this is an unbelievable statement. Again, I want to emphasize, Paul knew that he couldn't trade places with them, but this shows the depth of the heart that he had even for those who opposed him. This is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And Stephen saying, Father, lay not this charge to their, their account. This is the Apostle Paul saying, yeah, they're bugging me. Yes, they caused me no end of pain. They're trying to kill me. But they're your people, Lord. I want them to be saved. And one of the I guess if I can say weaknesses of Paul's ministry kept getting him in trouble as he really harbored the secret hope that Jews would listen to him based on who he used to be. That's why Jesus said, no, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. But in every place he went to Jews first. And he did it because of this heart of love. So we can't trade places with somebody. We can't give up our salvation But Paul is simply saying, my heart is so sincere. And he knows there's people that say, oh, you can't really do that. You wouldn't do that. He's saying, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. And then he explains this deep, deep sorrow and the unceasing anguish in his heart because he's watching Jews who should have been the first to know Jesus, not know him. So this is just a, a cry from a heart of an evangelist. So, Ray, I hope that makes it clear. Again, he couldn't give up his place. We can't be cut off. Uh, Most of us don't have the the same heart of love to pray for our mortal enemies that we'd give our place in heaven for them. But Paul did, and it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit three times. Here's a question from Stephen. Why would God accept Abel's sacrifice but not Cain's? Well, we're told in Hebrews that Abel's sacrifice was offered in faith. Cain's was not. Now, it's a little more involved than that, Stephen. But Cain, uh, one of the things that we know from the, from the passage of Scripture, this wasn't just God saying, okay, you give me a sacrifice, and Cain and Abel saying no. They'd been offering sacrifices, the prescribed sacrifices, for a long time. 
So month after month, year after year, Cain and Abel would bring their sacrifices. We have no idea. These are not kids anymore. These are grown men. They could be 100 years old. Who knows? At one point, Cain got tired of the blood. Or maybe Cain thought, well, Abel, he's a shepherd, so he gets to bring the work of his hands. I'm a husbandman. I work in the field. Why can't I bring the work of my hands? And he, he brought God what he wanted to bring him instead of what God required of him. And that's why his sacrifice, it was offered as the works of his hand instead of an obedient offering offered by faith. And when Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his was rejected, we know the result was the first cold-blooded murder in the history of our world. Now, what's important to us, Stephen, is we were talking with one of the earlier comments about works. Whenever we think we can do stuff for God, we bring those works. You know, people say, well, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to be a better Christian. None of that matters. None of that matters. What matters is doing what God says. And all these thousands of years later, we still have a tendency to get mad at God if he doesn't accept us on our terms. But God never has, he never will. We've got to come to him on his terms. And so when God tells us the will of God statements. It is the will of God that you flee from sexual immorality. You can't come to God and pretend that you're still okay with them. If, in fact, you're coming on your terms instead of his. If you think you can be angry at your spouse or, or you can use foul language and God will understand it, you, you're, you're coming with the works of your hands. God won't accept those sacrifices, the offerings. Because the only offering God accepts is one that's offered in faith. And by faith, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord. It means we put him in charge of our lives. We no longer have the right to our own opinions, our own thoughts. So it's a question of faith, Stephen. Faith and faith alone. Hey, thanks for a great week. I'll be back on Monday on AM 630, The Word in South Texas. Please pray for our kids at the camp. Tonight is a big night. I can just see the kids coming forward, streaming forward now to receive Christ. So please be in prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.